Welcome back to another episode of the Individuation Podcast. My name is James Malamus, and we've got a great episode for you. Today, we have another simulcast episode with Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai and Isaac Miller from The Daily Archetype. They welcome back Karen Apple to continue talking about the Jung Map of the Soul, Chapter 4, the psyche's boundaries, and what we know and should know. We can't wait for you to listen. So without any further ado, Dr. Al-Samurai, Isaac, take it away. I would like to welcome you back to the Institute for Complex uh, Individuation podcast. I am Dr. Lahab Al-Samurai. We have Karen Apple with us here. Very special guest. She is appearing for the second time. We might actually keep her on. Um, And we also have our friend from the Daily Archetype, Mr. Isaac J. Miller. And we have to say it because he puts it all out there. So we have to say it all. Uh, what, I, my middle name um, my middle initial speak oh speak uh yeah if of oh, i only put the, the if if you're talking about the middle initial i only do that because there's actually a lot of isaac millers and so i'm trying to like set myself apart from them <laughs> so you know i it does set you apart then we like it okay 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 well yeah because yeah there's there's a bunch of them don't, and, and don't, i don't i don't want to be confused and envy for something bad no, no, I'm not. I'm not jealous of them. It's, it's just that if anybody Google's full name Isaac Miller, there's a trillion of them, but not so many Isaac J. Millers. So anyway, yeah, today we're talking about chapter four, which is the psychic boundaries, and it's a very interesting chapter. It's uh, not exactly before what we I start, before we start. Uh, sure, sure. We want Karen to talk about uh, yes anything frivolous. Frivolous. Yes, just to, you know. Come on, Kevin. Frivolous. I don't do frivol. Okay. <laughs> well, I will say that um, it's very presidential to include your middle name. So perhaps you are on a path, Isaac J. Miller, to be the president of the United States of America. I, I don't think that, but. Yeah, IJM. IJM. Middle name or middle initial, though? It's it's the use of it's like that whole referring to them like with and, the and a triplicate. The okay. Yeah, the triplicate. Hmm. All right. That's that's my dose of proof. Well, I don't I don't want to be I don't want to be president, so maybe I should stop using it. <laughs> it makes you cool, brother. Okay, I, I'll be cool, but just not president. Maybe you're just presidential. Maybe you don't mm. have to actually be a president. Sure, sure. I don't mind being presidential. Just yeah. I, don't, I don't want that all that responsibility of actual being president. Although I hope one day if this we are elected. What's that? This is a good chapter. Yes, yes, yes. I, I Well, one thing I was going to say about the chapter is because it talks about archetypes i was expecting something a little bit different and it might be uh we'll have to revisit not this one specifically but archetypes in a different way maybe we'll get into the practical young and uh sometime next year um, yes yes which which talks about i think archetypes more in the traditional way magician the- just read my mind i had that i was staring at it thinking yeah how did you do that, magician? You stole my thought. We're 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 both like magically yeah. doing stuff. Magically intertwined, yes. Mm-hmm. Intertangled. Intertangled. <laughs> um, but the the way that he talks about psychic boundaries and uh, archetypes is mainly making the distinction between archetypes and instincts, and the body, mind, and spirit, and the, the other sort of subtext that is uh not there but i think good to point out maybe dr lahab can shed more light on it is that the second wave sort of unions uh or youngians are have some debate on this this issue of how much that the body and mind are the same thing or or not and i but i think uh uh, Dr. Stein does a good job of bringing about what the actual case is, at least from a true Jungian perspective, which is that body, mind, and spirit are 
same and separate. Uh, so they are the same thing, but they're, they have division and connection, which is kind of the, the main thing that this chapter gets into. So I would like to um, focus on that. Sure. And read from page 88 in the middle of the page, it says, the deepest layer of the human psyche he named, this is uh, Maurice Stein, mm. but, uh, quote unquote, collective unconscious. Right. I mean, Maurice Stein wrote this uh, young map of the soul. Right. And conceived of its contents as a combination of universally prevalent patterns and forces called archetypes and instincts. In his view, there's nothing individual or unique about human beings at this level. Right. Everyone has the same archetypes and instincts. For uniqueness, one must look elsewhere in the personality. True individuality, he argued in the psychological types and two essays in Alex, is the product of a personal struggle for consciousness that he called the individuation process. Right. Individuation is the flower of a person's conscious engagement with the paradox of the psyche over an extended period of time. That's good. So I think with that, he starts us off mm -hmm. on, um, we're all the same. Uh, yeah, we're all the same on that level, on the level of we all have uh essentially the same instincts and the same archetypes so let's stay with that yeah if that's the core of the collective unconscious then we're all the same so how do we distinguish ourselves from each other or how do we see and understand each other that's through individuation and individuation yeah. requires what individuation requires the expansion of the consciousness energy yeah, yeah which is to be able to perceive more and more consciousness, we get to perceive more and more psychic energy. We get to connect our psychic energy to psychic energy that's out there. We're no longer limited by the idea that we're this form that we are stuck in. That mm -hmm. psychic energy connects to the psychic energy out there, which expands our collective unconscious but it expands our consciousness of that mm -hmm. that's what we do in jam yeah. because no longer is the internal conflict occupying and taking all the time that you have in the day in the year in the weeks in the months and that's been redundantly done to you over and over again which is basically you're fighting your own um pain Hmm. Like you have a rubber band on your wrist and you keep pulling it and it keeps stinging you. And you're like, oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. Oh, that hurts. I should stop it. Oh, that hurts. Yeah. So individuation. I'll start with that. Hmm. You want to start with individuation, which is like actually no, no, another I'll chapter. I'll start with this. Oh, okay. That 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 this, uh, perspective this quote from page eighty-eight uh, from Stein's book. Okay. It's a, it's a good place to start. And well, and uh, to, to shed just a little bit of light on that briefly, it's just that uh, the, it, it's almost like if you look at consciousness as a whole, consciousness as such, then each individual person is, they are like an individual complex within that. And if they overcome their complex that they are so, uh, well, because on one hand, they are unique and special. On one hand, they're not, which is kind of like a Eastern philosophy kind of thing. But if they overcome how they think they're so different, then they attain a sort of a higher level consciousness, which is individuation, like you're talking about. Uh, and it's also like, essentially what you do in, in JAMP is you get, you get over these, uh, the individual complexes, but at the same time, it's called individuation because you all, you, you want to overcome the way that we think we're individual, but, and find the way that we're all the same thing. But then at the same time, 
find your individuality in the way that you're really individual. That's like the flowering. It's the flowering out of the way that, which it's almost more like. Um, Without focusing on it. Well, it's like the flowering. It, it's, it's often talked about as a flowering or the lotus or, or whatever, or the mandala coming out through the, uh, which is some symbolic of the self coming through like the, the ego germs, so to speak. Uh, because that, so that, that ends up being the self, which is as, uh, uh, Stein talks about later, that's, you know, Carl Jung's God term that we'll, we'll get into a later chapter, but it's like the self coming through the individual and shining through or blossoming through the individual in their special way, which usually will then be, uh, developing their own form of creativity and transformation in the world. Uh, what do you think, Karen? Yeah, I, I think that it's interesting that in the book, the individuation process mm. is discussed as it's a personal struggle for consciousness. Mm -hmm. So the struggle aspect, it's, I think that's an interesting choice of words to describe the individuation process. Like it's, we talk like in jam. Dr. Lahab, you're talking mm. about how um, we, it's useful for treating trauma. And mm. I think like trauma can, can be part of someone's struggle. So would you say that trauma is part of someone's individuation process or no? Trauma would not be part of, well, everything is part of the individuation process. Let's get that mm. out of the way because it is. Because everything that we work with is part of us. The more we integrate it, Mm -hmm. the better we are so mm -hmm. the more we're able to integrate the trauma then yes our awareness grows because now our awareness is no limited by the pain of the trauma itself now our experience our consciousness is expanded to include all those who have been affected by this trauma so if you're a cancer survivor yeah. suddenly your psyche is open to other cancer survivors if you only thought of yourself as a cancer survivor um, because you had your breast removed, now you think of all the other type of cancers out there that people have had something removed, their arm, their mm. leg, their ear, whatever it is, you start to appreciate your consciousness level of rising starts because that process of you are not alone. Right. Also, on that same note, but uh, a different way about it is that if we, we need struggles to become strong. And so like, if there's a person who doesn't have a lot of trauma in their life, they are either weak in some ways, or they uh, end up creating their own traumas or their own things to struggle with. Uh, just because we, that's just built into our, our nature that we need uh, things to overcome and to, to struggle with. Well, but, uh, but Isaac, you know, it's the mere existence, right? Our mere existence is always a trauma. Right. 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 Do you know what I mean? So yeah. everybody's traumatized in a certain way. Right, right, right. Existence is a trauma in itself. Mm -hmm. Like the, the first act of the hero is being born. Mm -hmm. So that's our first trauma. I'm sorry, uh, Karen, you were, you were exploring something. Go back to what you were exploring about individuation and, uh, trauma. Yeah, no, I think that we were, we were capturing what I was discussing. It was the sense of, okay, we have to, we each have these personal struggles and these personal struggles lead to more consciousness, which is the individuation process. And that's also how we distinguish ourselves from each other. So we start off all the same. We have the same instincts and same archetypal energies running through us and the collective unconscious but then as we become more conscious through the individuation process through struggle then mm -hmm. then we we start to have a separation a difference yeah. <clears throat> let, let me read a, a short line along these notes from later in the chapter he says uh, the hero is a basic pattern uh, characteristic of uh, woman equally as men that demands sacrificing the quote unquote mother, meaning a passive childish attitude and assuming the responsibilities of life and meeting 
reality in a grown-up way. The hero archetype demands leaving with the leaving off with childish fantasy thinking and instincts on engaging reality in an active way. If humans had not been able to take up this challenge, they would have been doomed eons ago. So uh, that, that is to say the pattern or the archetype of the hero is that of overcoming the struggle of consciousness and even just to um, come to a, uh, a better, a more mature mode of being. So which is part of, you know, the, this individuation process that we're talking about. It's the hero's journey, so to speak. So the journey is for both male and female. It's Equally. The, yeah. the, the, the fight is, it's not the mother that, that they're talking about. Well, but in a crude way, this is what yeah. he was talking Well, about. he says, quote, unquote, mother, meaning a passive childish attitude. So it's to overcome but, being but immature. So, but so this is kind of archaic, and we know this is not true. We know that the mother builds in us a very strong instincts to do and conquer and do a lot of things. So this this is a little archaic. And it's well, that, that's oh. why he's making the distinction. Quote, unquote, mother, meaning a passive childish attitude. So I, got, I got you. I got you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm just thinking out loud because I think yeah. when I think of the maternal, okay. I think of power. And so I, I have a, a, a tiny disagreement. But anyway, the disagreement comes to um, the maternal gives us, mm. she gives us creation. Right. That creation is what we take into the world. When that creation is disrupted, mm. that's when the trauma gets incorporated into right. the complex. Mm -hmm. And thus the complex starts to grow and thus our differentiation starts to differentiate. Yeah. Complexes are pulling us in different directions. And I, I think the, the archetypes. Yeah. Right, Isaac. So with mm -hmm. those, the archetypes and the archetypes mm -hmm. are saying what the archetypes are saying, you know, and the archetypes are already apparent in our childhood. The yeah. That we will become the archetype that will lead us down the road. Right, right. Is already apparent. Right, right. It, it's already decisive. It already makes judgments. It already tells us where we want to go and how we want to go. It already tells us what our preference is. Mm. You see little kids sitting in the playground. Now, what, what are you telling me? They learned that from their parents? No. They're little mm. kids. They're sitting in the playground. The two who are talking... Yeah. The two who are smashing their heads against each other. The two who are like picking up roses and walking around. The two who are demanding that everybody play like everybody else. Mm. Those are the archetypes. The archetypes are already apparent, right? Right. But this book talks about the archetype and the instinct. Right. And the differentiation between the archetype and the instinct. Mm -hmm. Okay. What I would say is that in what I think Stein was trying to say mm. is that they're kind of inside, outside of each other. It's hard to distinguish sometimes what's inside and what's outside. He says that there is one does not have priority over the other. Mm. I disagree with that. Um, well, uh, I think so much of these things, these patterns and the individuation process is which is what we're talking about is finding the balance and the appropriate time and place of these patterns and roles so in other words uh when you are a child or when a child is a child they they need to be in that passive childish attitude uh but as that they become adults as a, as a person becomes an adult they overcome that passive childish attitude i don't think uh, there's a passive child uh, childish attitude i think that i i think that is i think that's just patently wrong i think the child has an attitude mm. not a childish attitude it's an attitude it's the child's attitude of what is going on if you have a bunch of people who are around that child who are self-destructing using drugs 
pounding their heads against the wall. And that child's attitude, that child's attitude is actually a lot more conscious than the, their attitude. So to say childish attitude is to, um, and it's not you, it's the context of what they're writing. It's to say childish attitude is to say that you're unenlightened. Well, right, because the, the child is constantly discovering their right. So the the child is in effect more enlightened when he is a child acting like a child, because a child needs to act like a child when they're a child. But when they become a uh, like we know, I mean, I'm sure that you've seen some in your clinical practice. We may have seen some in our personal lives, our families, or just th throughout. We can see it sometimes when celebrities go in and out of rehab or whatever that there are grown-up people acting like children. So as not we... Children, not children. They're not acting like children. They're acting regressed. They're not children. Mm. A child, this is a state of being. When you're a child, you're in a state of being. That means you're a child. Mm. Something happens in front of you. Somebody rapes somebody or somebody like punches somebody so hard that they kill them or maim them or kick them or hurt them. That child is no longer child. Something has smashed that world. And now that child is like tenuously there. Right. So the attitude of the trauma is what takes away our innocence. And instead of saying, call it childish attitude, let's call it innocence. Um, perhaps. But uh, the, the, the main reason we're, we're on this or what this is about is, again, the, the, the hero, sort of to quote it again real quick, is the hero is a basic pattern, characteristic, of, we'll just say people, uh, that demands overcoming one attitude to come another. So if, if you disagree with that, how would you say that, uh, what, how do you say that the uh, hero basic human pattern that's in everyone uh, manifest? Well, the basic human pattern, the hero is that the hero is born of innocence. Yeah. And then, I mean, and I then think, what I is it that they're, what they're overcoming? The terminologies that we're using. And I think people get lost when you say childish and childish attitude. And I don't like these terms because we're trying to explain it to a wider audience. Yeah, well, it's so tricky here, because wider audience, what that means is in literature, mm. what that's meant is innocence. It's yeah. unknown. You mm. don't know certain things as a child. But like mm. I said before, if your experiences as a child is you have seen trauma, you have been witness to many things that are, are known to you, mm -hmm. are known how they fucked up. So you don't really have a childish attitude anymore, but you're still a child. Mm. So this, that is the disruption of innocence. Mm. The first time you're touched wrong, the first time somebody looks at you wrong, and mm. the first time your body fails you and you don't. Yeah, see, that, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really tricky thing then because then it's like um, sometimes children are robbed of their innocence and that can be a, a horrible thing in a lot of different ways. But uh, what we're... Uh, which isn't something that he really gets into in this chapter, but what we're trying to get at is uh, the, the pattern of the hero, which is what that they're overcoming. Yeah, the hero is the archetype. Right. So, so what is it that they are overcoming then? They're, com they're overcoming their existence. You're born into this world to overcome your existence. You first have to make meaning of it. Mm. You have to survive it. Mm. You have to fight for it. You have to name it. Yeah, you so have I to appreciate it. And then at the end, when everything is like, oh, I wish I knew this like 30 years ago, when you're in your 50s or 60s or 70s, or even you're 100 and you're like, oh shit, you know, when you this like 50 years ago, you know how many people say that? That's that's what the hero's journey is. Well, it, well, it, it is, but also, uh, so that's a uh, interesting aspect to it that some people, they, they, they don't uh, adopt maturity to a large degree until they're in their 60s or 90s or uh, whatever. But sometimes 
and maybe it's because life comes at people a different way. Maybe they just uh, adopt a different mode of being or whatever the case is, but, uh, and, you know, maybe we'd have to look at specific uh, heroes because we don't have. The archetype of a hero always ends up dead. Every hero throughout history who has been a hero has ended up dead. The archetype of the hero is also a, a detrimental effect on you. It's, it's both life and death. Well, but it's, it's, it's also, it's also simply getting into uh, the, the individuation process. So the, the individuation process is that to uh, uh, confront the, the mode of being in a way that it will uh, overcome certain things and it will make you stronger. Just like we, we talked about what we do in uh, jamp and, and the individuation process is we are overcoming uh, traumas and complexes and everything else. And as the, that we do that, that's the flowering from the self through the individual or through, through the ego consciousness, perhaps. Um, and, but to do that, that's, and the, and the hero physically often, if it's fully manifested in a person in society, then yeah, often they will have a premature death because they, uh, so much took on the role of the hero in the greater culture, but like someone like uh, Carl Jung, for example, you could say he was a individuated person who survived into his eighties. Uh, he uh, took upon the individuation process to find, you know, more and more and more and more consciousness and poured it into these essays and books and everything else. Uh, so I don't, you, you could even to, to a degree, look at, uh, Carl Jung as a, a hero or an individuated person and one that actually didn't die a pre premature death for it. Uh, That's more the, the rarity. What do you think, Karen? You been yeah, what's your perspective? Yeah, we, we, we've been blabbing. <laughs> yeah, I just want to, mm -hmm. like, we've been throwing out the term archetype, like, pretty mm -hmm. hardcore the, over this last, like, 20 minutes. So I think maybe kind of breaking that down into mm. what what is it and my understanding is um from the chapter is it's a source of psychic energy it's patterning it's um we had said previously that everyone has archetypes inside them it's part of our collect of the collective unconscious and our unconscious um and it there's it attracts energy and structure and it leads to creation um but is there, an, is there a more tangible way to kind of express what an archetype is to, to the newbie? Yeah, um, well, I, I would just try to say that what he tries to get into a lot in this chapter is compare and contrast archetypes with instincts. So, uh, the, and there's more to it, but it's kind of just like as much as he could get to in this one chapter. Uh, so if you think of the way that we have like an instinct toward uh, hunger or sex or uh, social interactions or, you know, all, all these uh, physical things. And then it starts to transcend as it gets into uh, the symbolic and the mental, I think what he calls the, the noose as it interacts with just the mind and spirit. Uh, and that's where he, uh, Stein and Jung talk about these diagrams where on the lower level connects into the body and instincts. And then as it ascends, it goes through like the mental level and then sort of like the soul spirit level. And um, so it's, it's, it's comparable with instincts, but rather than on the physical level, it's on the uh, mental sort of spiritual or, or soul plane. Uh, but that's just how that they come into our being or on, into our consciousness or how that we interact with them. And then uh, there's a whole other thing with like the, these patterns. What's that? I don't think that's her question. Her question is, mm. is that how is it that these patterns, what mm. are they? Where do they come from? That's her question. And the question mm. is always that, that, that is, is numinous. Mm. That it is, it is in, that is in our consciousness. Yeah. These, 
these aspects of consciousness are actually the coordinators of the psychic energy and they coordinate our consciousness. So the way we process the mm -hmm. world, so you would understand it through the four archetypes when we talk queen, um, lover, warrior, magician, what we are talking about is that the way that consciousness would work would be mm. that your lead archetype is queen. So that would be always ahead of the other three. The other three would always be organizing how the queen functions. Now, if, if it's the warrior, the warrior then their queen is all the way the opposite. So what is helping them organize is love and magic. <clears throat> Those are the two organizing principles, but their awkwardness is always the inferior function. Mm. So we move through the world and these are psychic links in our consciousness. And it propels us through life. These psychic links are the ones that give us an understanding of how things work. So the way I explain things and the way you explain things are different is mm. because our archetypal energies understand the world in a different way. It doesn't mean that my understanding is at a deeper level than yours. What it means is I understand it in a different way than yeah. you understand it. No less, no more. And I think that is one of the points that I think Stein tries to get at in terms of the instincts. Mm. I don't know if I answered your question, though. Yeah, and uh, I, I think so. What, what do you What do you think, Karen? Yeah, no, I like I like how both of you ended up pulling in the instincts, mm. and it sounds like the archetypes and the instincts they just they are mm -hmm. like like they are. <laughs> yeah, they're patterns. They exist. Right, right, right. And everyone has them. And Dr. Lahab was going into a little more detail about often there's you have a dominant one, and that's where all of the other energies are kind of pushing towards. And it's also um, to throw it back to the previous chapter where we were talking about how energy can be pushed or it can be, you can be drawn to it. So I feel mm -hmm. like um, that's similar, like you're drawn towards the pattern or the behavior of the archetype that mm -hmm. dominates you. Um, and in the book, I like what, when he talks about how there's like a, there's a spectrum or with instinct on one side and archetypal energy on the other side right. um, and how there is overlap and there's kind of like a gradient and mm -hmm. there's never one without the other though. So there's always like some part of them both in the energy. Mm -hmm. um, I think he says it's always found in mixed and never in pure form. Stein. Stein says that. Yeah, no, that's good. And then, I would say too that it's how that these manifest is because how that we have become the human beings that we, we are, and that would include over our, you know, millions of years uh, history as a, a, a human race or species or whatever, and how that we fit into the, the greater uh, psychological, physical ecosystem and everything else. Um, in other words, like what we have had to do to survive for a million plus years, uh, having to interact with the environment in a way that like uh, to, you know, like I touched on a little bit last week, how that we need to uh, like our instincts are really important because we need to stay alive and survive and pro procreate and all that. Um, now it's a little bit different these days because survival physically is a lot easier but that kind of actually moves the archetypal energy from the instinctual physical mm. uh into the the mental and sort of i don't know if you'd say what, spiritual what or uh psychoid. yeah the, the psychoid realm the realm yeah um and and now that's the human race but then also as each individual human sort of matures from uh, birth up until you know th throughout the stages of life it's also going to manifest how that we interact with uh, our parents our peers even as babies or maybe even especially as babies um, and then all the way up until when we uh, are adopting uh, 
adult attitudes and then one day potentially become either parents or even or just have parental roles when we are you know getting into the the ages that we're in now so we make that transition and then hopefully do so in a uh individuated sort of uh mature way uh so that we're, we're, we're healthy with our maturation process and we're overcoming our complexes that can develop. And that's what so, this so is all about. Part of it is that the psychoid is, mm. uh, the psychoid is also part of the collective unconscious. It's also inherited within the collective unconscious. Yeah, well. And it, it is not independent of the collective unconscious. And right. It is inherited with the, the, within the collective unconscious, like all the other parts. So Jung, mm. Jung theorized, or mm. according to Stein, mm. he says here on page 93, mm. uh, he's quoting Jung, and in the, in the last paragraph, he starts out, Stein says, in the method I was witnessing the spontaneous manifestations of the unconscious process, which was merely assisted by technical ability of the patient, to which I later gave the name individuation process. Mm. This process of imagining unconscious mm. contents brings them into conscious forms. Here he quotes Jung, the chaotic assortment of images that at first confronted me reduced itself in the course of the work to certain well-defined themes, formal elements, which repeated themselves in identical or anal analogous form with the most varied individuals. I mention as the most salient characteristics, chaotic, multiplicity and order, duality, the opposition of light and dark, upper and lower, right and left, the union of opposites in a third, the quaternity, square, cross, rotation, circle, sphere, and finally the centering process and a radial arrangement that usually follows some quant quaternity system. The centering process is in my experience the never to be surpassed climax of the whole development and is characterized as such by the fact that it brings with it the greatest possible therapeutic effects. And what, what he, he talked about uh, just before that, and to, I don't know, so, somewhat paraphrase, that they, what brought about this was he would get his uh, patients or, or uh, analysands, he would call them, to uh, start practicing creative things, uh, usually with uh, art and painting, and he especially would appreciate it if they had no background with that and they would start to paint things out of their unconscious and then uh he also gave the examples that people would even do dancing and modeling and any other creative thing because what it does is it brings out the this unconscious stored up energy uh to bring about the symbols from the collective into uh the practical where we live in the physical world and then that brings about the therapeutic healing, especially as uh, people that were painting, they would usually spontaneously paint uh, manda man mandalas when they had, you know, even no real uh, prompt to do so because it, it's this symbol that just pours out of the, you know, unconscious mind. So the chaotic assortment of images mm. that are first confronted me and reduced itself in the course of the work to certain well-defined themes, formal elements. So what starts out as these monsters in our head right. start to make sense and have a form that we understand. No longer are they monsters. No longer have they completely become chaotic. We are able to bring them in. And the more we're able to integrate Individuate, mm. the more we're able to pull in these all these different oppositions in ourselves, in others, in the world at large, in friends, in family, in lovers, and people we hate, all these different things that we start to bring together mm. helps expand our consciousness. And the more our consciousness is expanded, the less individually we are bothered by the ego. 
Oh, he said something about me. Oh, that's about me. Oh, that's about me. Oh, that's about me. It's no longer about me because I am part, as we say in jam, I was I was many, now I'm one. Yeah. We are both. What do you think? Yeah, the, the manyness is is an illusion that the uh the ego puts out there because of its its uh complexes. Uh, so as we become individuated or healed, then we see the unity and uh, the the one. It, well, it, it's weird because. Well, the ego puts out that rumor because what? Yeah. Because it's an archetype and it's competing. Yeah, it's a competing complex. Rumor <laughs> so, oh. is like, oh, you know, there's many aspects. If I don't take charge, you will fall apart. Yeah, well, and a lot of this goes into just the the biological aspect of having our you know bifurcated brains and and how that this consciousness has has come about, and uh, be, because our ego consciousness is is overly isolated in the left brain, and so what happens with the therapeutic healing that comes from analytical psychology or unit advanced motor processing is it integrates the both the unconscious and uh, conscious minds so then when you're saying i was many and now i'm one it's like the whole brain speaking and it's speaking in a uh self sort of way rather than an ego way or unconsciousness or the the unconscious speaking as a as a whole rather than this fracturing that there was before so this chapter would say that the mm. soma the psyche and the spirit are is what occurring in jam those three are becoming able to connect and right. and they are connected that right. somehow they were isolated from each other mm. so by spirituality is only on sundays yeah <laughs> or um you know uh, my stomach is only on saturdays and the rest of the time i pound myself to make sure that my stomach stays fit even though my stomach is, keeps falling apart every time i run to the bathroom that is all about so all these things are desperate and distinct mm. instead of one right. instead of like soma and psyche and spirit are one they move and that's what that's what we yeah. are ultimately working through um in jam right we are looking for um one right because otherwise because that way you are um integrated and whole on an ongoing basis and then as you do so uh that that and maybe this is a bit more of like what uh karen studies in naturopathic medicine how as you integrate the mind and body and everything else and make them uh connected and unified then there's healing on every level on an ongoing basis what so uh, that was something i was uh, interested to hear your perspective on anyway karen is this is a like a mind body spirit kind of chapter uh, which is a bit of what you study in naturopathic medicine so how does this line up to to what you you learn in eastern medicine and naturopathic medicine of the the mind body connection this chapter yeah thanks for asking so there is this part, an analogy that is discussed about riding a bicycle. Mm. And oh, yeah. so I'm going to read. So that's on page 95. Mm. And he's talking about uh, Young's theory and then uh, Blue, Bluler's theory Beautiful. a little bit. Um, and, he's, and Stein says, the body itself is able to remember and to learn. For instance, once you learn to ride a bicycle, you do not need to recall the skills consciously. The body retains the memory of how to do it. The body is also purposive and oriented towards their preservation of life, struggling for survival in its own way outside the range of the psyche. <clears throat> and so that definitely made me start thinking about so the body-mind con connection. And, mm -hmm. I was, and I was not sure I actually really um, necessarily agreed 100% because mm -hmm. He state, science states the body retains the memory of how to ride the bicycle, mm. but and I was like, well, isn't so? It's kind of like muscle memory, kinda, but yeah. is is it the muscle that is remembering, or is it the 
just the unconscious that's remembering. Like probably both are all like what what he's yeah just, I don't, I, yeah. Go what ahead. He distinguishes is what they're talking about is the psychoid realm, mm -hmm. which means that between psych psyche and the body, there's another realm where the body's psyche is activated. So the body has yeah. its own psyche. That is what right. psychoid realm is. That the body has not just memories, but anticipation. It anticipates movement. It mm. anticipates, uh, you know, it's like somebody's going to touch you on your neck and that was a bad memory. You twitch. These are part of what they call the psychoid realm. These are part of the innate parts of the body. And the anticipation of that is the body's psychoid. Yeah. The body's psyche. Well, he, he uses the, the analogy of, for the psychoid realm, how, um, uh, like the, the, the ultraviolet rays, and just to sort of, you know, paraphrase yeah. it, there, there's like the lower end of the uh, light. Read it, Isaac. It's on page, uh, I was going to get to it, the sound frequencies on page 95. You, you want to read it since you have it in front of you? Uh, well, so uh, he says, but once one posts an unconscious psyche, how is one to define its limits? Can they be defined at all? Are they so indefinite, uh, indefinite as to be considered more or less limitless? This is what Karen's asking. Mm -hmm. As a scientist and a thinker, Young wanted some clear definitions. In this paper, he proposes several of them. One of the most important is a theoretical concept called the psychoid aspect of the psyche, which forms a threshold. And he says that sound frequencies precipitable to the human ear range from 20 to 20,000 vibrations per second. The wavelengths of light visible to the eye range from 7,700 uh, 7, to 39 angnostrom units. This analogy makes it conceivable that there is a lower as well as an upper threshold for psychic events. And that consciousness, the perceptual system par excellence may therefore be compared with the perceptual scale of sound or light, having like them a lower and upper limit. Maybe this comparison could be extended to the psyche in general, which would not be an impossibility if there were psychoid processes at both ends of the psyche scale. So the psychoid is integrated with the psyche. The psyche uses it. Yeah. So what he's, what he's uh, illustrating is how our thoughts come into our head, so to speak. Uh, even a pain. We might feel a pain in our, from our body. And because like normally it's like our heart is beating and it's completely unconscious to us on that sort of like lower psychoid realm. We've got our heart beating to a large degree. Our, uh, uh, that's like an involuntary uh, process. Whereas uh, our breathing is like a, a mix of voluntary involuntary. Um, and then certain things will bring things from that lower psychoid realm of the, the physical up into our frequencies, you sort of, so to speak, of the conscious realm, and then likewise on the symbolic realm, just like when we maybe see a certain beautiful thing or a symbolic type thing, or have a certain experience that is sort of like the spiritual thing. Maybe you could say that you might experience it in like a deeper uh, yoga type meditation or uh, one of these. Uh, awe-inspiring moments where you pull something down from the sort of soul spiritual realm uh, and it goes into the uh, conscious realm so it's like there's the the middle realm which is your so you maybe you call your ego consciousness or just the what you can say that's your thought or that's your uh, ideas and feelings in the conscious realm and then they come from up and down they come from the the higher level of consciousness and they also come from the body but all are always going on in, in the individual. So the psychoid realm is sort of making the distinction of how things go in and out of those, the, the levels of consciousness of the body, mind, and then um, I don't know if you'd call it spirit or soul as the, the higher level or, or the archetypal. So Stein continues and says, Young's mm -hmm. view of the psyche posts that it moves along a scale. 
whose outcome right. gradually disappeared into a psychoid that is, is psychic-like. Right, right. A young acknowledges that he is borrowing the adjective psychoid from Lure, who mm. defined thus psychoid as the sum total of all purposive mnemonic and life-preserving functions of the body and central nervous system. Mm. With the exception of those cortical functions, which we have always been accustomed to regard as psychic, Lure thus proposed a distinction between the psychic functions, which in young terms include ego consciousness and the unconscious personal and collective, and the other life-preserving functions of the body and the central nervous system, some of which appear to be quasi-psychic. The body itself is able to remember and to learn. Mm. So I think that these are basically two different names of the same ocean. Karen, to answer your question. Yeah. That the ocean I think is vast that when you get to a certain part of it, they call it a sound. Mm. A sound. And then you go out and you're like, oh no, this is the big expansive ocean. Mm -hmm. I think this is what we're talking about. And I, I guess I can buy forcing a distinction between the two, the, the body and the spiritual, but at the same time, maybe it's, they're, maybe it's the fact they're all in the ocean to continue it's that analogy. The so they're still connected because from like a treatment perspective, from a naturopathic treatment perspective, when we treat the body, the mind is affected and when right. we treat the mind the body is affected so there's definitely that connection he says that it moves along a scale whose outer limits gradually disappear into the psychoid so the scale is like you know when we talk about jam we talk about left right left right and the, the connection between left right this is the scale the scales going back and forth back and forth back and forth that's the scale that we're talking about and so um, this is a scale of the psychoid. So the psychoid would be that part in JAMP where we are trying to take away the pain. So we're telling the brain, it's like, well, there's pain down here. I, uh, it's harassing me at this point. I know what's wrong. Do um, you really need to have it there? So when we're able to take away the pain, because we're dealing with the psychoid area, we're talking to the psychoid realm. That's what young... That, that would be the best way I could describe it to you, um, to those who understand JAMP. It would be that uh, we are treating the pain through the recognition of the psychoid realm mm. between the brain and the pain signal. And that comes because of what um, he talks about as this is the cortical functions um, he talks about that this is basically your uh, nervous system. That's a psychoid. So uh, th there's a line that kind of like ties it together somewhat, which says, Young wants to tie the whole system, soma, psyche, and spirit together while preserving the analytic distinction among the various aspects. Um, where Where is it in like the sort of, how do they teach it, Karen, in naturopathic medicine as far as there being the connection but distinction or uh, how does it come across in, in, in your perspective? Yeah, we definitely go really deep into acknowledging that there is a mind-body connection, mm -hmm. that they are separate, but that they're 100% mm. connected. And right. that's how we approach you know, our treatments because we're all about looking at the whole person. Mm -hmm. um, and treating one area is fine, but if we can treat multiple areas at the same time and get more results, then that's what right. we're going to do. And so, um, treating both the body and the mind, um, is going to get us the best results. It's going to get us the change we want to see. It's going to improve health. Um, and it's, it's just so empowering and it's definitely a core part of our curriculum. And it's mm -hmm. something that, um, prior to going to school, I hadn't really thought about, it. I was very much, um, body focused, yeah. very like physically focused, um, like a, like a coasty. Yeah. <laughs> or a <our> raver. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Like that body and that movement. Yeah. And, mm. um, so being, 
I love the being exposed to that idea mm-hmm. of that of that connection, and then how important it is, how strong it is, and how it's important to treat both. Mm-hmm. Inevitably, when you treat one, you're treating the other. So acknowledging it and knowing it just helps empower you, helps empower the patient too. Right, and I would say along those same lines, and and this kind of gets uh, back into the the doing the JAMP method properly uh, is that. Uh, so some, some people or, or methods of medicine or treating the, the body or whatever are just very focused on, we have to fix this problem in the body. And some, uh, I don't know if I'd say Freudian or just other uh, aspects of, you know, psychoanalysis or whatever are like, we got to fix this, we got to fix your mind or whatever. And, and some of them even will like really focus on the chemical aspect of it. But uh I think that maybe Dr. Lahab can shed some light on that. That can cause additional complexes and neurosis is when you just really focus on it's it's all in the body or it's all in the mind or whatever, but you've really got to tie them together because that's the way that the reality is. Well, that's what we know from trauma. What trauma does is it it dislocates aspects of feeling, Mm -hmm. right? So it's dislocated. The image is dislocated. The feeling, the tone is dislocated. It's yeah, it helps a person dis- disassociate. Because exactly. Of, yeah. And so as a defense mechanism, what Karen's talking about, to bring mm. those pieces back together, we have mm. to look at all the pieces together. And that's right. what we do in JAMP, which is we look at the body-mind connection as one. There is no decipherable difference between the mind and body. It is one. And that's why we constantly reaffirm the body as well as the mind within mm. affirmations. We talk about um, the beauty of the body. So we are talking to the body as well as the mind, mm-hmm. but we're also talking in and young in terms, sense of self. We're talking about the self, mm-hmm. we're talking about the oneness of the self. We're talking about the one self, right? So, I think in a in in a perspective, I you know I, we were talking about this, and I wanted to throw this mm. is a dream from one of my patients. Mm. <clears throat> she says, and she's uh, one of our gem patients, so she's been doing this for a while. I was uh, this is her dream. I was an anthropologist in tropical area of India, so this part is the cycle, <laughs> right? Sure. Amazing. I was symbolic. a family, two parents, three children. At first, I did not understand that I was an anthropologist. I thought I was just visiting this family. Then, as I observed and took notes, it dawned upon me that I was there to study them. The family was a mother, a father, and three children. Eldest, a daughter, another daughter, and a son. The father was the person with whom I interacted the most. He was nervous and anxious. They lived in a hut that was furnished comfortably through, though crudely. It was cramped with a lot of stuff inside. The eldest daughter was quite bright and doing very well in school. She was in high school and was hoping to go to university. I stayed with them a week or so, a year, and returned over the course of three years. On my final visit, the eldest daughter was in the home, and I assumed she had gone off to college. The son had grown quite tall, and now the majority of the family resources and energies we're on his schooling. And this goes on. But I just yeah. wanted to give that as a part because. Yeah, it's the symbolic realm. Yes. Um, our meeting is about to start. So uh, I would like to um, close the chapter. Sure. On chapter four of the psychic boundaries, which I am sure we will return to because there was a lot of unanswered questions in this chapter. Yeah, they all weave together. So we'll we'll revisit it. But next week on uh, Young's Map of the Soul, the revealed and the concealed in the relation with others. From me, Dr. Lahab El Samurai, and the Institute for Conflicts Individuation Podcast, I bid you farewell. Karen, would you like to bid people farewell? Yeah, everyone, have a great week and thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time. Uh, Yeah, thanks a lot. Next week, we'll be talking about the persona and the shadow. 
and it's all really interesting exciting stuff and this this was as well and we'll uh keep digging in it's 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 fun stuff thank you for tuning into this episode of the individuation podcast we hope you enjoyed hearing from karen isaac and dr el samurai we hope you enjoyed this collaborative episode we have plenty of new exciting content and podcasts coming out during the holiday season so make sure to stay tuned Tune in again next time to the Individuation Podcast for another episode soon. We at the Institute of Conflict greatly appreciate all of you listeners. Please share the podcast with your friends and spread the word. If you would like to help expand our community, like us on Facebook and Instagram and give us a five-star review on iTunes. I'm Sonia Mahmood and you've just listened to the Institute of Conflict Individuation Podcast. We'll be back soon.